Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connect and Collect, the new podcast for leaders in credit and collections, brought to you by Lexop. Get firsthand insights from our expert guests about the latest innovations, challenges, and opportunities that lenders are facing today. I am your host, Michael Pupil, Vice President of Sales at Lexop. And today we have an exciting episode with not one, but two guests today, Jackie Smith and Karen Sterling. Uh, Karen is the VP of Collections at Home Loan Investment Bank and has over 15 years of collection and banking experience. Her industry knowledge and leadership skills have driven the bank to record-breaking low delinquency results. Karen is also an executive board member of NEMA, the New England Adjustment Managers Association. Jackie is the AVP Loss Mitigation Analyst at Eastern Bank and has worked on early and late stage accounts, foreclosures, repossessions, credit bureau reporting, and much more. She's a former intranet author and an event committee member at Unibank and is a current notary public as well. Jackie is also on the executive board of NEMA. And so Jackie, Karen, what an honor to have you both today on the Connect and Collect podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Mike. We're honored to be here. Ah, fantastic to have you guys aboard. And maybe just for the listeners, I thought it would be uh, great to just give a little bit of context. And I think, you know, our uh, our story together, uh, we connected right before the end of 2022, if, if memory serves, around November, December. And um, at that time, Lexop was looking for, you know, different groups, associations and organizations that really wanted to put thought leadership out into, you know, the industry. And, and space to talk about what is typically a pretty heavy, you know, conversation in collections. And we are grateful that we found our way to NEMA, and of course, both of you. And uh, after probably several meetings, we were, uh, you know, finding that the vision, the effort, lots of things aligned. And we found that the organization was something special and something that Lexop is, is pretty committed to being a part of for many years. Now, all that being said, I think the, the aha moment for me or when I knew that it was truly something special was because after about five months of calling the association Niama, uh, about 10 days ago, both of you on a uh, Google meet where I could see you both visually like today, uh, I saw you guys laughing where you, you fixed my pronunciation and it is now pronounced Nima. So it was at that moment of, uh, of letting me go for five months that I realized that this was the type of trouble that I wanted to be part of. So I am personally grateful to having both of you guys on the call today. And if that isn't uh, an explainer for who we're going to be working with today, I don't know what is. Um, that being said, we were, well, obviously you guys have uh, your day roles and of course your evening roles with NEMA. Uh, maybe just a quick disclaimer because we wanted to keep this more casual that uh, a lot of the stuff that we're talking today are more the views and opinions um, that are coming both from you, not a representation of the organizations or even NEMA itself, but rather just a casual conversation between the three of us. And so, uh, ladies, I, you know, whoever wants to jump in first, uh, I would love to start right at the beginning for both of you, right? What motivated you uh, to jump into a career in collections and, and how did you get start in, started in the field? You know, who wanted to go first, Jackie, Karen? Um, so I started collections uh, back in 2007, um, and I always tell people, like especially my new hires that are, you know, new to the collections world, and I say, you know, nobody wakes up one day and says, I'm going to be a bill collector. You know, you kind of just land in, in that area, and some people succeed, some people don't. Um, so I started in third-party collections in two, around 2007 when I first had my son. 
um, because kids are expensive and I needed a job. So uh, I started the position and I ran with it and I, you know, built through a ladder with that company and moved into banking and credit unions after that. Jackie, how about you? So I have a similar opinion. Um, you don't wake up one day and say, I want to be a collector. And if you are, please give me a call so I can hire you. Um, <laughs> I ended up doing, when I got out of college, there wasn't a lot of jobs out there in 2011. We were kind of getting over a recession. So my first job was actually selling uh, personal protective equipment to construction companies at a little mom and pa shop that sold nationwide. And it was code calling. Uh, when I saw that I wasn't making commission after a year, I knew I was not a good salesperson and I was pretty much just giving everything away for free. So I decided I would kind of hop and go the other direction and just try to collect the money. So I joined their accounts receivable department um, and realized if I went to a bank, I'd have, you know, a bigger networking opportunity, um, better opportunities, uh, life and work balance. Um, so I started at Unibank in 2016 and have been in the collections industry ever since. And it sounds like for both of you, it wasn't exactly a, a you know, a prescripted, you know, path to get there. But once you landed there, both of you have extensive experience with a couple of organizations. And what I assume is, uh, you know, a love that you found that you had no idea was there because you both have been doing it for, you know, more than a decade. And so a tremendous amount of experience. So in that vein, how, how did, you know, maybe the introduction to NEMA uh, come through for both of you uh, coming from similar yet different, you know, kind of backgrounds? Sure. Um, so when I moved out of third party collections into Credit Union World mm -hmm. um, in 2013, I had a boss who was a former president of NEMA at the time, so he was an active member. Uh, and he had started bringing me into the NEMA monthly meetings, um, which is geared towards training and education for the collections industry, uh, for banks, credit unions, and other financial um, institutions. So right from there, monthly, we go, we've gone to those meetings, um, and it's just kept going ever since. And I have brought it with me to uh, the other banks and credit unions that I moved on to since then. Maybe silly of me. In a similar situation for me. Yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah, <laughs> very similar situation for me. My um, boss at the time was also a NEMA president back in the day and started bringing me to the monthly meetings. Um, and I actually met Karen back in 2016 at my first meeting. And my boss said, here's a girl that knows Freddie Mac. Why don't you sit with her and talk? Because I don't want to learn it. <laughs> It's so crazy because I think a lot of uh, industry knowledge is, is passed that way. Like, I think we all take for granted, you know, the remote work and we're all in, in different, you know, locations. And that's probably the one thing that anybody, you know, the, the pre-pandemic days of the, the remote work really being a thing. It's that tribal knowledge uh, sharing of information that I think makes those interactions so special. Because who knows, maybe you would have, you know, connected you know, anyway, through fate in, in some sort of industry event. But that connection of, well, tell me what you know, is really still the driving force between how a lot of people get best practices, how they share experiences, both good and bad, and oftentimes leads to decisions and strategic decision-making based on those conversations. So I, maybe I should have started with, a, you know, tell me about NEMA, the history and, and what they do. Karen, you gave a little bit of that 
uh, explanation in your conversation as to how you, you went there. But for anybody listening that is not familiar with NEMA, um, you know, NEMA.org is obviously the, the website. But, um, you know, talk to us a little bit about, you know, what NEMA is, what the goal is, um, you know, and, uh, and obviously give some feedback to the, to the listeners as to who you guys are and what you guys do. Yeah, of course. Um, so NEMA goes back uh, over 50 years. I think we're coming up on year 55. So it was originally started by a group of eight collections managers, supervisors in the New England area who, you know, unlike a sales position, there's really no ongoing training for the collections world in banking and credit unions. Uh, we kind of have to learn off the cuff, right? So it was a group of people or managers in the collections world that got together to discuss the issues that they were having in their own institution and toss ideas back and forth. Um, and then they realized, you know, this is valuable networking, valuable information to share with other institutions, and it's just continued to grow since. Um, so I believe this year we're up to about 50 or so different banks and credit unions in the New England area that are annual active members. What, what I love, and Jackie, please, if you had something more to, to add to that, um, you know, I know that uh, you've been a longtime member as well. Yeah, and I also manage a lot of the constant contacts, which are the emails that go out to our members. And I think it's important to say, you know, this organization was started by eight collection managers back in 1969. And today we have these emails going over, going out to over 400 people. Each yeah. email. So. What I love most about it is, uh, you know, a collection of financial institutions in the New England area, because obviously, you know, as you guys put on, you know, monthly you know, events and monthly meetings to get together. Geography plays, uh, you know, a part in it, right? You're not going to have many people flying over every month from California to, to attend these. I don't think you would turn them away if they wanted to share some of the best practices. Um, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about the annual meeting and the, and the monthly, uh, you know, meetings that you do. But that sharing of knowledge is so incredibly important. And what I love about it most, and we see this a lot in roles that don't necessarily have uh, serious formalized training. Sales is, is the same way. And it's sharing of best practices and learning instead of off the cuff, but almost by trial and error and what really works, what doesn't. And with an evolving market from year to year, things change. And so how do you really know, you know what is going to work or who is doing what and what you know, the result is going to be? And having the ability to look at, you know, uh, you know, two banks together or credit unions together, not necessarily see each other as competitors, but professional colleagues that are both trying to do the same thing for two different organizations, which ultimately is to provide a great experience to allow ease of use of whatever lending product is out there for the repayment so that, you know, the individual who is borrowing um, is not penalized for delinquency, um, you know, goes through a tough experience on the collection side of things. I think everybody has that experience where it could be a good one, it could be a, a not so great one. Um, and that's what I really love about the, the NEMA organization, probably why you guys have grown from eight to over 400 and have been around for 55 years. Not many organizations have. Now, I don't think- Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, and, and I don't think any of us were around in 1969 to, to see the, the, the beginnings of it. But in your, um, you know, in your tenure, talk to me about what you've seen as the change from, you know, the 2000 teens to, you know, now where we are, uh, because the market was very, very different. And I assume 
there's been lots of changes over those years. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that stands out in my mind, and Jackie, you can speak on this as well because you're in Lost Mint, um, is the default mortgage servicing rules uh, and the emphasis on helping the homeowners through mortgage modification programs and, and alternatives to foreclosure. Um, so honestly, the bank and credit union, we don't want to repossess your home, your car, or any other kind of collateral. Um, yeah. It costs us more money to do so. So if you're willing to stay, we'll try to help um, and find a way for you to be able to keep your, uh, your home, your car, or whatever it might be. Uh, but those rules and regulations change over the year. And the only way for collections to really know is to one, have counsel that will update us when new servicing rules come out and interpret them for us, make sure our forms are correct. And also to network with our colleagues and, and ask them, hey, this new rule came out. What are you guys doing? Have you implemented it? What do your forms look like? What do you have to, what, what's your requirement to put on your form? there's certain statements and disclosures that have to be on these forms and it's not a sales or origination or servicing aside where there's so much training available the collections is often an afterthought well I agree so definitely agree and I think sure. I think yeah, that um, I think you know looking at it post pandemic now in the early teens we were in a consumer friendly atmosphere but post pandemic it's even more consumer friendly, you know, we're going to do everything in our power to try to save you and keep you in your home before we, we foreclose. Um, we're, we're here to help where before we were kind of, you know, I know back in the days they were knocking on doors before we were just making the calls, going through, you know, the steps. Um, and I don't think there was that big of an outreach where today we're reaching out to these borrowers who are delinquent and saying, what's going on? How can we help you? How can we fix this? I feel like the approach, you know, earlier um, was more of, well, when are you going to pay? When do you get paid? What are you spending your money on? And it wasn't, what can we do to help? Um, so I, that's the biggest difference I've seen, especially it's it's grown post-pandemic for sure. Yeah, I think if I had to boil it down to a word, I think it has become friendlier. Um, you know, there's a lot of research out there that points towards um, you know, delinquencies or bills not being paid on time that it is not the majority of time because the individual doesn't have money to cover the bill, but rather more of an administrative piece. And it could, some, it could be something as simple as, I'm just going to put the bill that I received in the mail on my desk or on a shelf and you just forget about it. And then you, you know, remember when you're 30 days late or 60 days when you get another notice or a phone call or an email. Uh, or it could be that your credit card on a PAP has expired and now you, you forget about it uh, and a lot of different reasons for it. And so if that experience is always an aggressive, hey, by the way, you know, you owe us, you know, this and this is the date that you need, as opposed to how can we help you? How can we serve you? Is there something that's going on? And what are the options and the flexibility that is available? If it's something like an administrative task, it's very easy to complete. If it's something that requires a little bit more in-depth empathy and some negotiation, you have the ability to do so. And it's no longer a tough process that probably gets avoided on a telephone call uh, and something that will enable that communication to happen between the two. Karen, you talked a little bit about, um, you know, the, the word that you use was afterthought. 
and that just perked up my ears right away. Uh, maybe could I get just a small expansion on the idea that you had about you know the afterthought there from an industry perspective? Yeah, I think um, in a lot of ways, collections in the financial institution world is an afterthought. So again, I've been on both sides, third party and first party. Um, whereas in third party, it's a big organization and that's all they do is collections. So they have big or, or orientation sessions with their new hires to teach them laws, regulations. What can you do? What can't you do? Who do you talk to? All of those things. You walk into a bank and I don't know, Jackie, correct me if you've seen it, but I've never seen any kind of training program other than you go into the collections department and that team will get you up to speed through listening to phone calls. Correct. So, I mean, it just starts there and then and the ball keeps rolling as, as these loans age um, and consumers fall delinquent. It happens. It's normal. Um, and there is no backup or training to the collection side. Um, and it boils down to all the way down to servicing. Sometimes it's hard to communicate between collections and servicing because servicing wants to do things one way. But we've got laws and regulations that they don't necessarily know. Um, and we ask them to do things a certain, a certain alternative way, and there's some pushback. So I just think that education in the collection side around the entire organization would be beneficial. A hundred percent. I would even go, you know, from, uh, from more of a consumer side. Um, you know, I think it has become incredibly easy for an individual to interact with their financial institution through digital channels, like a mobile app, for example, and be able to get a loan originated, a mortgage originated, a car loan without speaking to an individual, a couple clicks, you know, of the, of the screen or the mouse. Um, even on the electronic signature, I can draw my signature on a touch enabled device and everything is provisioned out the door within minutes. And in fact, uh, most organizations promote that as being a, a wonderful thing because it shortens the time and it promotes the, the speed of access. And that's great. Um, and then at the same point, when we speak to lots of organizations, we ask, you know, well, okay, well, if there is something that goes late, like what is one of the strategies? And it still blows my mind that part of that comment or that sentence on the back end is, well, we take an envelope, we stuff it with a piece of paper, look a stamp, and we send it into the into the mail. I'm like, guys, there is a disconnect within that customer journey of you know total digitization at the front end, and then we're sending you know mail carriers to, to deliver letters. And obviously, there's more to the collection departments than just mailing <laughs> letters. But I always find that you know kind of funny uh, out there. So I think there's also a disconnect between the origination side and then the afterthought of oh, hold on a second. We have a portfolio here that is, is getting a little bit dangerous, like the, the yellow light is on. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, your perspectives, because I don't think anybody goes crazy on the underwriting side and just starts handing out, you know, loans like, you know, Oprah Winfrey and you get a loan and you get a loan. And, um, I don't think it works that way. But, um, you know, tailing off of the friendlier approach, the changes that have happened, one thing that I think is uh, notable in the industry, and I think we need to talk about it um, because it is notable, is that there's been a greater participation of female um, you know, agents and leadership in the collection space. And I think that that uh, deserves a little bit of time for us to talk about it. And maybe that's why it's becoming 
more empathetic, no hit on men, but um, you know, I think it, it takes different perspectives to come up with a different result. And if I make that bold claim, would you guys agree that that has been a change? And maybe you can speak to whether that is a true statement or perhaps a, a false statement that I'm, maybe I just think that way. I see you. No, I totally agree. I, I see more women in the management leadership positions, um, especially while being, you know, in NEMA and, and interacting with the membership. We're seeing a much larger presence of women attending these meetings. Um, our current NEMA year is almost over and I'm the incoming president for next year and I have a full executive board filled with women. So it's no longer the boys game anymore. So, you know, and, and I think that not to, you know, say anything bad about a man doing collections, but I think we bring more of an empathetic approach with our conversations, uh, with consumers. Um, and some people find it easier to speak to women. Um, it goes both ways, but some people find it easier to speak to women about their finances and open up a little bit easier. Uh, and I think the first step of that collection call is bringing that shame and self-embarrassment um, down so that they can, you know, have these real conversations with you. It's a very sensitive topic. Yeah, Jackie, what are your thoughts? I agree. On yeah. I, have you seen that as well? I agree. I, I have. Um you know, I know I told you in previous conversations, Mike, my baby shower at my last job was all men who attended. Yes. Um, and, you know, I I realized when I started going to NEMA in 2016, I was probably, me and Karen were one of the few females that were there. And um, it's kind of just completely flipped um, where the ratio is sometimes more, more women at these meetings than men, um, which I think is great. Um, and, you know, I think it, it just brings a, a comfortability for all members all around and our customers. You know, I, uh, it, without the political or gender side of things, the, the thing that I love most about that is when you only do something one way, the result is always going to yield the same result because you're doing it that one way. And what we have found in a lot of conversations is that a collections department and whatever analogy you want to use, tools in a tool belt, you know, uh, instruments in an orchestra, when you only have one tool, when there is only one instrument, the song or the job can only be done one specific way. And by adding diversity to that department or to that mix, you then start to get a different result. The sound is different or the job can be, you know, done differently. And that to me is the, the, I guess the, the best benefit of that diversity inclusion within the collections department, because those conversations always existed. You just didn't have the right tool at the right moment to have that conversation in the right way. And to your point, Jackie, uh, you know, it's not going to be a hundred percent of the time that that is going to resonate. Maybe it does take a different perspective or a different gender or a different channel uh, technology versus paper. There are still people that buy rotary phones because I guess they love to spin the dials, right? Um, you know, it, it just, it doesn't matter what it is as long as the path is set from A to B. And the more diversity that you can have, the greater the chance of you connecting, you know, with your customers. And I think that to me and sharing those diverse approaches is really the benefit of an organization like NEMA. And I know I keep coming back to it. I think I've become a fan of the organization for sure. Um, you know, maybe on that, on that tale, we know that the annual meeting is, uh, coming up, 
uh, well, coming up as we record this, I think we're going to be releasing this shortly after the annual meeting. So sorry for those that are going to be listening to this and saying, I want to take part. Uh, it's happening April 20th. Uh, Karen, talk to us a little bit about, you know, the event, you know, what you're expecting from it. And then Jackie, I'd love to get your, your, your perspective from it as well. Yeah, um, so our NEMA annual seminar uh, is happening on April 20th this year in Newport, Rhode Island at the Newport Marriott. Uh, we've got over 30 different banks and credit unions that are registered to attend as of now. There will be still um, a few more to trickle in before the event starts. Um, and I've got, I think we have up to 15 different vendors and sponsors that are joining us for the day as well, including Lexop. So thank you for participating. Uh, so it's going to be a full day of education and, you know, all of the important updates that have happened throughout the year. We've got a great uh, lineup of speakers. Um, we've got Freddie Mac coming to talk about loss mitigation and alternatives to closure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's Jackie's favorite thing. It used to be mine, but, but I gave it to her. You could have it, Jackie. Thanks. So, <laughs> I'll take it. Um, and we've got FICO coming in to talk about um, how the technology through the collections world has been advancing um, and moving into the digital world. And we've got Mike over here coming in to talk as well. So we've got a full lineup of, of great presentations for the attendees. Um, and we do it every year with different speakers, different topics, what's, what's relevant to the industry at the time. Um, and we plan these with the feedback throughout the year from our membership of what do they need to hear more about. Um, last year, I think our, our seminar was heavily focused on bankruptcy training. Um, always a fan favorite for collections because it, you know, it's very difficult to manage some of these bankruptcy filings. Um, and so I think this fall we're planning to have uh, maybe a half day or a workshop style uh, bankruptcy training. So stay connected to NEMA.org to find out when that's going to happen. Yes. Yes. And the only thing I can think to add, Karen did a great job explaining it is, uh, oh yeah, the only thing I have to add, I think Karen did a great job explaining it. We did also um, get a foreclosure auctioneer agree to come to the event. So after lunch, we will have a mock foreclosure auction. Um, I know as a collector um, back in the day, I had no idea what a foreclosure was or what happened at a foreclosure. So I think it'll be really cool for our members to see um, that it is an actual live auction. And he's also going to, um, you know, take note of best practices for marketing, um, advertising, bidding strategies. Um, so I think it's going to be a great day for all. And I'm sure Karen and myself will take a thing or two away from it as well. So. No doubt. No doubt. Well, I wanted to wrap up the last uh, few minutes uh, more on the personal side. We always ask our, uh, you know, our panelists or our guests that uh, attend the podcast, you know, have you ever been late on a bill? And of course, if you have, how did it shape, you know, your view of that process? And so uh, without, uh, you know, asking that embarrassing question, I'm going to ask you the embarrassing question. You know, have you guys ever been late on a bill? Has it shaped how you view what you do? Do you want to take that one first? Yeah. I'll take it first. I have a little bit of a lighter story for this one. So, no, I have never been uh, I have never been late on a bill that would affect my credit score. And now the reason for this, Mike, is called 
priority management. So <laughs> when I was making much less money and I moved out to an apartment, obviously I figured out quickly that um, I could skip a month of National Grid if I had a car repair and it would not hit my credit. So I'd get my car repair done and then I'd catch up on my National Grid bill. I would never not pay a credit card, a car loan, a student loan. Um, and I think what was huge is that um, my mom kind of instilled how important my credit is at a very young age. It wasn't my schooling, it was my mother. And she kind of explained the way of the world to me and you know, things you can look for solutions to get by that aren't gonna affect you at the end of the day. Um, so National Grid, sorry, I may have paid you 30 days late but I got all the money back to you on the 31st day. So we should be okay. And every day since then. <laughs> yeah, what you're, you're touching on a point, talking about training and formalized you know, education, financial literacy education, including credit, um, you know, needs to be on a national, international side of things. Uh, you can get yourself into so much trouble if you are unaware or illiterate about the ramifications of what you get yourself into. And so kudos to your mother for uh, putting that, that stress on there because it absolutely is paramount. And I love that you did it because it was within the rules, right? There was no penalty. Uh, we see that sometimes with lenders where there is a grace period that they do allow a little bit of flexibility. And that flexibility is what really drives that loyalty. And that's probably why you remember that story because it allowed you to you know, shift and prioritize where that money goes in that pie. So what a what an amazing story! I love I love that that approach. Karen, Jackie set the bar pretty high, so you're you're gonna have to you're gonna have to come in pretty strong and on the on the closing story. Yeah, so my story is a little different. Um, so I did not grow up with parents that instilled bills and you know prioritize what happens when you become a grown up. Um, I did know that bills would come. That's about all I knew. So I think starting young with your kids and, and explaining personal finance would be helpful. Um, so I had my son when I was, I had just turned 20. Um, and I went and lived on my own, single parent, uh, you know, so I can relate to a lot of the stories that I get from the consumers over the years. Uh, probably helps. Um, in our conversations, I have no problem talking about it, made me who I am today. So I went through um, a lot of financial difficulty with that, uh, including I went all the way up to court date for two different evictions uh, within a year of each other after I had my son. Um, never got evicted. I did show up with the money, uh, but I did. You know, I've struggled just like anybody else and any other family. Um, and, and I did for several years. I lived in a studio apartment with my son for five years after that. And then I bought a house. So, so it can happen. If you, if you do plan out, if you get into a financial hardship, don't run from your bills. Um, prioritize them. Sometimes it helps just writing them out, writing them down, putting cash in an envelope, waiting for, you know, your due date and bring it to them, you know, do it old school. Uh, but it, it definitely helps me in my conversations in being empathetic and understanding uh, the common consumer's uh, struggles. Yeah, and that don't, it, it doesn't matter when it starts, it can start, it will happen. That education process will come through. Don't run away, but embrace it. 
and organizations are now building themselves to take on that embrace because everybody goes you know through it and whether you haven't been laid on a bill but you've learned as to what it is or you have been laid on a bill and then you realize what is to come either way at the end of the day that end point is always the same for whatever path is taken and um I can't think of a better way to, to close out our, our concluding comments on this on this piece because I think the reason why we wanted to have both of you on at the same time is just it's it goes to the piece of diversity in the experiences in the channels and the approaches they're all within the same piece of putting the consumer um, you know and their their perspective first and building a strategy around it and it doesn't matter who it is and what the experience is. There's going to be a lot of different demographics that will define who that lender is, and if you are the, um, you know, the borrower and going through some of those those pieces, if you are a match, that is where the relationship happens and that the education process takes place. Phenomenal, both of you. Um, I was super excited for this uh, this podcast today. Today was one of those days that I wake up and I love my job that I get to do something like this. Both of you were uh, the reason for that excitement in the morning and driving my household crazy as I was super excited leaving for the office today. So again, <laughs> both of you, thank you for carving out some time with me and the Connect and Collect podcast. Um, so thank you, ladies. Um, on that note, we will be thank back you for next month. Yeah, thank you. I, so apologies. In Montreal, there is freezing rain. The weather is terrible. So there may have been a little bit of delay. So sorry for the listeners if there's a couple of seconds there delay. But we will be back next month with another episode of Connect and Collect, hopefully with better weather in case there was anything that was there. Karen, Jackie, it was a pleasure to see you. And I am excited to see you guys face to face at the annual event. NEMA.org is the organization. If you wanted to check it out, please go see it. And until next time, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.